Welcome to The Root Podcast, a show about men and mental health, where we share stories of transformation and overcoming. I'm your host, Ruth Ann Kroll. All right, today on the podcast, we have Stephen Kuna joining us. He is a photographer here in Calgary and we actually used to work together in the restaurant industry way back in the day. A long tw- time ago, yeah. 2016, eh? It's, we've come a long way, I think, yes, we have, since yeah. that time. So, But it's great. So yeah, Stephen is really excelling his photography right now. I guess I'll let you finish the rest of your introduction. Tell our listeners what you've been up to the last year or a few years. Oh, well, uh, like we were discussing before, it's been eventful and uneventful at the same time. So the the pandemic has really kind of put a damper on the growth that I perhaps could have had. But I've been just experimenting with different photography techniques and uh, just trying to like elevate my game when it comes to photography, also with the marketing, all, all that sort of stuff. But uh, over the past year, I've just been you know, kind of working on myself, really, uh, than perhaps my career equally as important as I would say. But yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> the pandemic was hard on everybody, I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. So as we were saying before, I was, I'm not even supposed to be in the country. I was supposed to be living in France right now, right. you know, sipping espresso <laughs> and eating uh, croissants and stuff like that. Um, but unfortunately, that didn't, that didn't really happen. Yeah. I know there's so many maybe post, not lost, but maybe postponed dreams that have come out of this season. And I'm sure we're all feeling grief in some way, shape or form, but you mentioned personal growth. Tell me a little bit more about that. What have you learned? What's come up for you over the last year? Well, as far as personal growth goes, I have always been really good at being able to be alone. My upbringing with uh, my brother, who I have I have uh, more than one sibling. I have uh, three siblings in total. Uh, but my brother was the closest in age to me. We didn't really get along as kids, as young boys are typical of. So I had to learn how to be, you know, learn how to play by myself and that sort of thing. So video games obviously came into mm-hmm. into play very early on. But over this past, let's say, year and a half, I've really had to like double down on not only learning how to be alone, but also learning how to be happy alone, yeah. which is very hard for humans. I think we are very uh, social animals and it's been kind of tough, I'll say. Um, I'd like it, it was not easy in the beginning, but staying in contact with my friends over social media, what have you, or, you know, talking to the friends that I play with, you know, it's helped a little bit, but learning to like keep busy has really been my, my takeaway from, you know, 2020 and going into 2021. That's how I've been kind of like taking my, just putting my hands to work and, and, you know, whether it's, you know, doing simple things like cleaning the house, doing the dishes, doing the laundry, that sort of thing, you know, shoveling snow. We had a lot of that (laughs) and just trying to, to keep busy and keep my, my body moving. And I really think that that helped my, my mental health overall. Cause there were days I will say where I didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we've all had those days where you just like Literally, you wake up and then you spend an extra hour in bed scrolling away. Yeah, you're nodding furiously. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you don't really get much accomplished. You know, you might not even cook for yourself that that day. You know, you just like, maybe you'll make toast for breakfast and make a cup of coffee in your Keurig because that's the easiest, fastest way to get your, you know, right. hit a caffeine. And I've had those days. But I think that we, you know, with the warmer weather coming around, you know, I, I was able to get myself out of that funk. But it's been, I'll say it's been a struggle. Yeah. So you kind of touched on routine, like the importance of having a routine, sticking to your routine. What helped you 
stick to that. And yeah, like what kept you going? Because I know a lot of people, the loss of routine, loss of sleep schedule has really made a really, you know, negative impact on their mental health and just ability to function. So is that something that you realized early on that you knew that you had to stick to a routine or? I did realize that with, especially over the winter where the days are so short that my routine was very dramatically affected, especially when I when I stopped working at the restaurant. I did this like little simple trick, actually, even just recently, where most people would close the blinds before they go to bed, but I actually sleep with the blinds open. Hmm. So it's a very, very simple trick. But my, yeah, my sleep schedule was just thrown into disarray, I'll say, <laughs> um, like like a lot of people can relate with, I'm sure. But just by sleeping with the with the blinds open, I was able to actually wake up. Like this morning, I woke up at 8.30. That's like a record for me right. these days, you know. Yes. Of, of course, being a bartender, I would go to bed at 2, mm-hmm. 3. You know, I'm like 3 o'clock, I'm sitting in front of my TV watching Netflix and eating shawarma or something <laughs> like that. That was my routine when I was, when I was working full time. But when I, yeah, when I didn't have that, it was very easy to just – stay up past that tired point where I like, I don't really want to go to bed. I'm tired, but I don't want to go to bed. And then I hit like a second wind at 11, which takes me right to like 2am or Mm 3am or Mm 4am. You know, I I did have those nights, Mm -hmm. but yeah, recently I have been sleeping with the blinds open and my circadian rhythm has been put back into balance. I'm going to say, so I'm actually tired at like 11 or midnight and I'm waking up at 8.30 or 9, that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. yeah, that as, as far as routine goes, that's the first step. I feel like I'm still working on it. Right. But today I yeah was able to get up and I made myself a smoothie and peanut butter on toast and coffee. And then I got all gussied up for this uh, <laughs> this podcast, which is not being filmed. Um, <laughs> maybe unfortunately, <in> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe you'll have to bring me back on so people can see how, yes. how good I look. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, routine, it suffered, I will say. Mm-hmm. I've been trying my best to bring it back, but I still have a little a little bit more work to do. Mm-hmm. What's the one thing in your routine that is a non-negotiable for you? Coffee first thing in the morning, <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Ditto. Ditto. <laughs> that first cup of coffee is is very important. And actually having a big glass of water when I first wake up, I'm, again, a lot of people are going to be able, be able to relate to this. I'm really bad at drinking water really bad. Mm. Like I would rather drink coffee or I would rather drink yes, just coffee. Yeah. I just rather drink coffee. And so I'll maybe have like three cups of coffee in a day and I feel terrible after because mm. I haven't actually had a regular glass of water. But yeah, as far as my routine now goes, as soon as I wake up, once I'm done that, you know, extra 15 minutes of scrolling on my phone, I, uh, I go to the bathroom and I I have a big glass of water because bathroom water is different. You know, everyone knows Um, (laughs) the the bathroom from or water from the kitchen sink does not taste as good as bathroom water. I I can't explain it, but Mm. uh, that's something that's been non-negotiable. It's like a big glass of water just to get my, just everything moving and everything going and you know, the blood flowing. Got it. Yeah. That's so great. I think that's so important. Actually, I was just reading because I love to study the brain. The brain is made up of mostly water and yeah, being dehydrated can probably affect your mental state too. So I think that's such a good point that you just brought up. So, and you also talked about, you know, the personal growth side of things in terms of being able to function well on your own. Tell me about your experience over the last year with social. How were you able to continue to incorporate that or what were your learnings from that? Well, I feel like this year, how do I say this without being mean? I th- I think that some of my <laughs> some of the people that I saw on a regular basis when I was working, they were great friends because I saw them regularly. Yeah. And then once the pandemic hit and I wasn't able to see them every day, I never heard from those people ever again. So as far as personal growth, I 
and the social aspect of being in quarantine and having to be a homebody all of a sudden, I learned who were my friends and who were not. So when I first went into quarantine, perhaps like maybe the first two weeks or three weeks, I called everybody that I cared about. Like I actually dialed their number and called them. And some people were actually very surprised Hmm. because they don't get phone calls anymore, only when it's an emergency. And I would- It's like, what's wrong? (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And I've always been one of those people where if you want to get a hold of me, don't text me. Like if you need to get a hold of me, just call me. Mm -hmm. Um, Or if you just like need to chat, I'm always down to chat as well. So it doesn't really matter what I'm doing. I'll always try to make time. But the social aspect, it has been it has been hard, I will say. I am a very social person. I worked yes. in a very social atmosphere for a very long time. Mm-hmm. I was in the service industry for about seven years. Mm-hmm. So yeah, cooking for two and then bartending for five. Mm-hmm. So having that suddenly stripped away from me, I had to adapt. Video games definitely helped, I will say. I'm a big advocate for interactive media, which you just learned today is (laughs) now a new (laughs) phrase. Exactly. And having my friends that I've played with for years, they were always there. So I was spending a lot of time on my computer, not burning off the calories that I was ingesting. (laughs) Relatable. (laughs) Gaining the quarantine 15, as as it's called. Maybe a little bit more than 15. Who knows? I'm not going to divulge that much information. But um, yeah, the, the social ability was dramatically affected and phone calls, video games. I did actually have a, it wasn't necessarily like a Zoom date. It was just like my friend who lives in Vancouver, we both made the same meal and ate it together. It was super cute. Amazing. Um, Yeah. I love that It was a very delicious recipe as well. (laughs) Yeah. Maple glazed eggplant and salami sandwiches. Well, I have That was, yeah. Does that one have a name? I don't, I'll I'll get the recipe for you. Okay. It was out of a French cookbook that she has. She is very French and her cookbook was entirely in French. So she had to translate it for me, but it was very delicious. But yeah, this, the social aspect, it's, it's been a struggle, but I feel like we've all adapted in some, in some way. And that, that was just how I adapted. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm going to change the subject a tiny bit because you just mentioned France and we were just chatting about your Mm -hmm. dream to go to France and how you're taking French classes what sparked that dream for you? What were you hoping to accomplish in that experience? Well, it was it was really based on my, for two reasons. One of the bigger reasons was my photography. I, at the time, didn't feel like my growth was going to happen living in Calgary. I've since been proven wrong just because of my own motivation. But I, I didn't feel like there was a market for fashion photography here in Calgary as mm-hmm. as I saw it. There's a lot of commercial fashion there's a lot of lifestyle, but not not the high fashion that I really, really wanted. And that is all present in France or Germany or Romania even. There are a lot of places in, in Europe that I was able to visit or that I would have been able to visit had I gone. So that was definitely one of the bigger reasons. And the second reason was, I think, personal growth. You know, I, I have never been overseas. I've only been to the States a couple of times and, I, and that was many, many years ago. And so I feel like I had been missing out, mm. you know, because all of my friends – who didn't necessarily have hobbies, they decided to go traveling and they used that perhaps as a surrogate. Not knocking anybody who likes to travel that I'm sure you have a great time every time. But uh, in my early youth, I was, or perhaps in my early 20s, oh, my youth, um, <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, I was, I was, was very focused on being a, a musician and and being, we're alluding to a later topic we're going to, uh, to cover, but uh, I was very focused on my career as a musician, as an artist, just in general. And there were things that I perhaps took for granted. And traveling was definitely one of those. There was money I, that could have been spent on, you know, going to Europe or even like traveling at the time, Canada, whereas I used that money to buy guitars and amps and pedals and all this sort of stuff. 
So I felt like I was really missing out. So that was another another big reason why I wanted to go to France. I wanted to have a really I wanted to have a good time. I wanted to make new friends, mm-hmm. discover a new culture that was mm-hmm. not exactly foreign to me, but there were going to be differences and I was excited to see them. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I was not able to go due to visa restrictions and all this sort of stuff. I was very excited and then that was just ripped away from me. So I had to cope, I guess, yeah. <laughs> with that. Yeah. Well, that's actually, that's one of the questions I was going to ask today is coping. Yes. I sensed and I've heard from a lot of people that coping strategies through dealing with the uncertainty of the world we're living in right now has been a struggle. So have any like previous coping mechanisms popped up, back up, reared their ugly heads again? And Oh, yeah, unfortunately, would- yeah, because I would say that not necessarily all coping mechanisms are healthy. Right. And avoidance was probably a, a coping mechanism mm-hmm. and uh, like avoidance of responsibility, avoidance of, of essentially any responsibility in my life. And I just kind of dove into like a, a dark hole for, I don't know, maybe a month, maybe less, mm-hmm. maybe more. Who knows? The warm weather kind of like lifted that, uh, that funk away. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm going to say like avoiding the problem altogether was how I coped. Right. Whatever problem it was or whatever thing I felt was a problem. So that as unfortunately was one result of the restrictions that we had. Yeah. Yeah. What helped you get out of that? Was there anybody or anything that? Oh, you know, I, there's actually this motivational audiobook that I listened to when I feel like I need a little bit of a boost and it's called Unfuck Yourself by Jeff Bishop, something Bishop. I can't, I, oh man, I, I should have been more prepared with his name. I'll take notes. But, uh, <laughs> but it is, but the tagline is get out of your head and into your life. And mm-hmm. it is just really an audiobook that just gives you a wake up call. And I listened to that here and there when I feel like I need a little bit of a boost. And that was, that helped me a little bit. So I would get like motivated and I would pop on my headphones and then start doing my dishes right away. Because even before I even click play, I know what's going to happen. I'm feeling really motivated. And uh, what really got me out of those, you know, dark times of late 2020 or early 2020, who knows, you know, it was, it's that all of that year is a blur. I used that to be my motivation to get out of that funk and my own motivation. It was like a, a snowball effect. I was getting up early and cleaning my house and working on marketing my business and doing research on photography techniques and all this sort of stuff. So that that's really what got me out of it. Love that. The external, I call it the mental diet. I find like <laughs> with the negativity just surrounding us, we need to take control of that, right? And there's lots of things that we can do. <laughs> number one, maybe shut it off even for a, a period of time. Yeah. And number two, find positive ways to input strategies into your brain that help motivate you. I can definitely relate to that. I know I Mm -hmm. listen to a ton of podcasts. So that's so great. I will definitely list that in the show notes for people to go check out. Yeah. Unfuck yourself. It was Gary Bishop. (laughs) Oh man, I'm not even sure about that. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's a, it's a great audio book. It's also in paperback as if you, if that's more your, your style, but I like doing things while I'm listening to an audiobook, yes. except for driving, because I will zone out, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> Especially on long drives. <laughs> absolutely. I don't yeah. want to go on an auto, autopilot when I'm hitting a, like a red light. Yeah. No, that wouldn't be good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I actually want to go back to, you talked about, because you wanted to travel, but you were really heavily invested into your music career at that time. Mm-hmm. What led to your transition from music to photography? Well, I have, I guess I'll start at the beginning. I've, I've been a musician or at least I was an active performing musician for a very long time. My first performance was uh, 
at a church that my mom would bring us to. It was just down the street from where we used to live. And uh, she had adopted a, a Bible verse and she had uh, like made it into a song. And I was six years old. So I was like, I don't know, like three and a half feet tall. Who knows? <laughs> I was a small kid for a long time. And I still remember the song. I'm not going to sing it. But uh, <laughs> next time, next time. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll see. But yeah, I, I, ever since that, and I got a big round of applause and all the old ladies were giving me kisses on the cheeks and I had like <laughs> lipstick marks and stuff like that. It was super cute. And ever since then, I was, I was kind of hooked on, on the performance aspect of musicianship, really. And I was in a variety of bands. I was in an all flute marching band wow. based out of a legion. And I marched in the Santa Claus parade in Toronto, kind of a big deal. I'm going to pat myself on the back for that. But, <laughs> um, and I like at 12 years old, maybe prior to that, I was in a choir that was mainly marketed towards like inner city kids. Mm -hmm. So I was the only white kid in the choir. Like it was all like people who were of African descent or Caribbean descent, that sort of thing. The potlucks that we had were delicious. Um, it was it was so good. <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, yeah, my my love of curried goat came from that. Um, yeah. So good. But fast forwarding a few years, I found myself in Sudbury, Ontario, about five hours north of Toronto, and I was really into hardcore and metal music. I know that most people who look at me think that I listen to John Mayer, and like I get that. <laughs> um, <Yes. laughs> and you know what? I do. I do listen to John Mayer. I think he's great. But. Uh, I was, yeah, I was heavily invested in metal and hardcore music. Some of my favorite bands were Hundredth and Alexis on Fire and Monine and all these all sorts of bands. And I really wanted to pursue that. And when I finally found a band and we finalized the actual members, it was amazing. We, we released a demo and then we released an EP and it was great. We were like kind of the talk of the town. We had our 15 minutes of fame as it were in, in the city. And when I fell on hard times financially, I had to make a decision. So it was early 2016 or late 2015, something like that. I was not working very much, unfortunately. And my rent at the time, what I felt it was so high. It was like a paltry amount in comparison to what I pay now. But, um, <laughs> you know, moving to you know, Calgary versus Sudbury, Ontario. And I had some student loans and I, I looked at this and it seemed like an insurmountable, like mountain in my path. And I was playing on my PS4 one day and my brother-in-law, who I was friends with on PlayStation Network, he invites me to be in a, in a party, you know, to chat. And so he was like, oh, hey, how's it going? And then I kind of told him what was up and the struggles that I was having. And I had to make a decision as to whether to find a new place in Sudbury or, or go elsewhere. Then my sister got on the mic and it was actually a very cheap way of talking to someone. It was only $60 a year, you know, <laughs> so it's a very cheap way of, talk of talking to your friends. So I kind of laid out the whole story for her as well. And she said, well, we have been telling you to move to Calgary for like the last two years. So how about you come on down and then you can stay with us until you get back on your feet. So I sold pretty much everything, like all of my amps, all of my pedals, three guitars. That hurt, let me tell you, because like that was quite a lot of money that I had sunk into that gear that I didn't really even get back because I had to, I still had to pay like last month's rent and stuff like that. And I hopped on a Greyhound. That route does not exist anymore, <laughs> but I hopped on a Greyhound, took me 42 hours on the Greyhound to get to Calgary, Alberta. And then they picked me up and we went to Tubby Dog. That was my first restaurant in Calgary. I've never actually been there. Note to <laughs> you, self. You can get a hot dog with peanut butter and jelly on it. What? It is an experience. I haven't tried it, but I'm willing, I'll say. <laughs> but yeah, so the, the rest is history from there, I guess. And uh, as I 
moved to Calgary and, and I tried to transition my my musical skills and contacts into the Calgary scene, I found that I didn't actually know anybody here outside of you know my siblings. So I went onto Facebook, I went into Instagram, and I tried to find people to be in a band with. Because I still wanted to pursue that that hardcore and metal scene that I had just fallen so in love with. And I was, you know, a very, at least at the time, a very talented singer, a very talented screamer as well. I played guitar and all this sort of stuff. Again, a lot of people would look at me and they're like, you used to scream in a hardcore band? I'm like, yeah, I did, actually. <laughs> um, it's kind of crazy to think about. But I really wanted to find people who were on my level. I, I don't want to sound, make myself sound like I'm this master musician, but I had a level of experience and I wanted to find other people that could at least meet me at that level of experience. And I realized that the only people I, I was finding were people with way less experience than me or people who were just trolling me. So I went onto like the Calgary hardcore Facebook page and that was awful. It was just... <laughs> Tons of people who thought they were too cool to be in a band and they would just troll my posts and stuff like that. So I decided to go solo. So I was very proficient in acoustic guitar at the time. Maybe I still am. I don't know. I haven't practiced in a long time. But uh, I was that guy that you see at like a bar on a Thursday playing for like three hours. I was that guy. I did that as well. Mm -hmm. So I decided to go solo and I wrote a song. I was really proud of it. I even went to Cafe Koi. Um, I think I saw that video. Yeah, I think you did. Well, yeah. you, you saw me covering Jamiroquai on, on, my, uh, right. on my Instagram. Yes. I, I, never, I never released that song. But I was super proud of it. And everyone gave me a lot of compliments about it. It was, it was great. And then I tried to write the second song. And that's where the problem hit. So I, I didn't know what to talk about. I didn't know what to sing about. I didn't know what to, like all my riffs sounded like the covers that I'd been doing for the last, you know, three, four or five years. That sort of thing. And I... Uh, I was getting a little discouraged, so I decided to switch mediums. I'd always been interested in photography for, you know, of some modicum, but uh, I didn't really pursue it ever. Every time I took a picture with my cell phone, I wanted it to be, I wanted it to look nice, just like everybody does. We were talking about that earlier. And I decided I wanted to like just try a different art medium to get me out of that funk. The plan was always mm. to come back to music. Like I just wanted to try something different to spark that creativity again. And once I started shooting it was just incredible like photography took me places that music never did which makes me really sad because i was a musician for a very long time and yeah that's pretty much it i i wanted to actually dive into music photography which i felt was a natural progression and so i did a few shoots to all unpaid because i was just beginning and i was using my brother-in-law's 10 year old camera at the time it still took great photos but it, it was not as uh robust in features as the camera i have now but yeah once i got into photography i started shooting everything and and, and, any, and anything i wanted i would go into my local park and i would take pictures of like streams and ducks and all this sort of stuff and then i got into model photography like portraits and fashion and then i got into boudoir for about a year and a half and then i got bored of that and then i moved to fashion like exclusively essentially because there's so many things that fall under that umbrella that i would never be bored and mm. Now I'm sitting at a table uh, talking to you, and uh, that's, that's pretty much where we are. Okay, you mentioned something that really intrigued me. You said photography took you places that music never did, and that surprised you. Where did it take you? What did you well, learn? it took me into you know different groups of, of of artists, of course, and that was like a really big a really big thing for me because when I first moved here, I didn't know anybody. I had I had no friends. I just had the people that I worked with. You know, some of the people I got along with, and a lot of other people I didn't. 
But uh, not to say that I'm like a, a very disagreeable person, but, um, you know, some people rub me the wrong way or I rub them the wrong way. And, you know, I made friends and I didn't make friends along the way. And some of those people lasted, you know, I, I made friends with you, you know, five years ago. And even though we haven't seen each other in a while, I feel like I almost like saw you yesterday. We were able to yes. catch up so easily. Yeah. And actually, I, I sh- I'll just continue. But, you know, it took me to, to different, you know, social and friend groups. And then I was able to get myself into these, you know, fashion circles, portrait circles, boudoir circles. And then eventually when I wanted to expand my photography, I would send emails to like fashion events like Vancouver Fashion Week. That was my first fashion event. And I sent them an email. I'm like, hey, I would love to be a volunteer photographer just because I've never shot anything like that before. And I sent them my Instagram and that like essentially my Instagram was my resume. And uh, they were like, yeah, we'd love to have you come on down. And I spent like $2,500 on a <laughs> on a goddamn hotel room. It was a Howard Johnson and someone tried to hack my computer while I was there. Oh, it was, it was like musty and it's Vancouver. So it's always raining. And there was like green shit growing out on the outside. <laughs> oh man. But I had a great time and I made a lot of friends. And the next year I decided, oh, well, I, I went to Vancouver once. Maybe I'll go to the other side of the country. So I sent an email to Festival Mode Design, which is essentially Montreal's fashion week. And I sent them these, the exact same premise, but I was able to put Vancouver Fashion Week, you know, 2018 in that I'm like, hey, I've shot for Vancouver and uh, I would love to shoot for you guys if, if you would have me. And I sent them my Instagram again. That was my resume. And they're like, yeah, we would love to have you come on down. So I spent probably half the amount of money going to Montreal and staying in Montreal that I did when I was in Vancouver, which is insane to me. The flight was more expensive, but the accommodations were way, way cheaper. And there was like the bagels and the Montreal smoked meat and then uh, all that sort of stuff. And these are things that never would have happened with my music. Maybe never say never, of course, but it would just happened at such an accelerated rate with photography that that's what really amazed me. Wow. Those are some amazing stories. Yeah, I would say acceleration for sure. You know, and like I was a musician for 20 years wow. and I've only been a photographer since the beginning, like January 1st, 2017 is when I decided I am now a photographer. You actually shot my first headshots. Yes. Was yeah. that your first shoot? I can't remember. Um, Maybe no, I, th- I think I'd done like a couple of shoots here and there, yeah. but I definitely like, like yours was a lot better than those previous ones, but definitely. Yeah. Go, thankfully for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It sounds like you really met your creative match. It sounds like you really met some people who were on your level, mm-hmm. something that you didn't find in music. Um, At least here within within the Calgary within, scene. Yeah. For sure. Did you meet any like so-called mentors that helped guide you along the way or was it more of a collective journey with other creatives? At the beginning, it was more a, a collective journey of, well, the, the school of YouTube as well. <laughs> the school of YouTube can teach you anything you want to know. Yes. And actually only just recently did I find some people who were, I'm not going to say mentors, but I wasn't necessarily anyone's protege, perhaps, but, or prodigy. I don't know how that that word is pronounced, but I did take cues from not only photographers on YouTube, but photographers here in in Calgary. One in particular, his name is Aluvier Costa, and he runs Mass Studios International here in in Calgary. Hmm. Quite a large space, actually, uh, down on 17th Ave. And he was very, very nice. I went out for coffee with him and I just wanted to ask him some questions about photography and, and the business. And he sat me down, we went to analog and he was answering questions that I didn't even know to ask. Like he was very, very informative. And even when I go and shoot his, at his studio, I'll ask him questions like, Hey, why isn't this looking the way that I 
want it to. He's like, oh, just move the light like over there a little bit, you know, like raise it up and move it to the side. And there you go. And with the commercial sense of photography, he really helped. But a lot of it has just come from my own, how do I say it? My own motivation and my own curiosity for finding uh, new techniques because I never want to be bored with this, right? That That's the one thing I f- perhaps fear the most is that I will get bored of this like I did music. And I don't want that to happen because I've sunk a lot of money and a lot of time into this so far. About as much money in half the time, maybe a quarter of the time as I did with my music career. So photography ain't cheap. If anyone's looking to get into photography, just know that there are costs involved. Right. But yeah, it, it was my own curiosity that, I, that I'll say for the most part drove my elevation in skills, perhaps I'll say. It sounds like photography, I mean, could be a combination of a few different things. You met your match in terms of the creatives and association you were able to collaborate with. Mm -hmm. But also it sounds like maybe it connected with your core values more than music did. Oh, that's a heavy question. As far as my core values, my core values when it comes to art, I feel like I'm a really simple guy. I just want it to be... I wanted to evoke emotion. I wanted to be edgy. I wanted to be at the forefront of whatever genre I'm trying to attempt. Whereas in music, I was getting bored because I was doing a lot of covers when I was playing at the bar. That's what people want to hear. They don't want to hear my my original songs. And then when I was doing music, we were really just taking cues from other bands. There was a lot of riffs that I could see like directly being in an Alexis on fire song, that sort of thing. And not to say that I I discount my, my music career. I I think that it had helped me grow a lot as an artist and the relationships and experiences are invaluable at the end of the day. But as far as photography goes, I was able to be more creative and more myself rather than Mm -hmm. having to rely on someone else to bounce ideas off of. And that was ultimately my, the demise of my musical career because I was in bands for so long that I would keep asking people, oh, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And my confidence in writing my own music really wasn't there. Hmm. It sounds like photography really allowed you, yeah, to express that part of yourself that you couldn't in music. That's so great. Actually, on the on the topic of photography, I wanted to ask you, you posted something on your social media the other day. I would love to unpack this and get your thoughts on this. For sure maybe a negative stereotype around male photographers. Can you tell me a little bit about what you posted and what your thoughts are on that right now? Well, so what I posted is I posted this on a a few social medias. The first was on TikTok. And then the second was on Instagram because, you know, some stories and experiences were, were brought forward by some local Calgary models. But the first post was, it was on TikTok and it was called The Ethics of Photography. I'm SDK Photography on TikTok, by the way, if anyone wants to go follow me. <laughs> Make sure to follow, like, and subscribe uh, always. But um, essentially what I what I said in that post was every year I hear about, or, you know, something is brought forward about a photographer, whether it's in Calgary or not, who is inappropriate with their models. It wasn't necessarily a, a negative stereotype. Oh, maybe it was. Well, we'll I guess we'll unpack that. But Every year I hear about at least one or two photographers that is exposed as someone who's being very inappropriate with their models in some manner, whether it, you know, going as far as assault or just inappropriate comments, that sort of thing, making the the, the model feel uncomfortable. And these are all over the place. It like, it happens everywhere. It happens all the time. And it kind of shocks me because I've always been someone that, I mean, I I was in customer service for so long, the, the comfort of my client is the same as the comfort of my guest. You know, I wanted my guest to have a really great time. 
and I wanted them to be comfortable and comfortable with me. And I brought that right into my photography as well. You know, I, I want my client to be comfortable, not only for their sake, but also for the sake of the photos themselves. If someone's uncomfortable, you see it. I'm capturing an image in time. And if someone's uncomfortable, they it'll be written all over their face. It, pretty much everyone wears their their feelings on their sleeves, you know, their heart on their sleeves, as, as the saying goes. And it was just crazy to me that you're seeing all of these stories come out. And so that, and that brings me back to my Instagram post that I posted, I don't know, like a, a couple of weeks ago now, there was a photographer outed by many models um, as someone who was very inappropriate, telling the models to take off their clothes. And even though that was not the initial intention of the shoot, but saying it also in a way that made people feel uncomfortable, like it would make your skin, my skin crawl. And so as far as the negative stereotype around male photographers, I don't know if that necessarily is a proponent of that, but I feel like there is an attitude shift, unfortunately, because the few are ruining it for the many. You know, there are a few photographers that just feel the need to try to get lucky or to, you know, score some action on a photo shoot. And I think that's absolutely ridiculous. Hmm. And I think that models are becoming a lot more wary of working with male photographers, which I mean, perhaps they should be, you know, especially if it's a shoot where you're not going to be wearing a whole lot of clothing, maybe do your research, that sort of thing. I guess it was a healthy change rather than people just diving in into their first shoot and then the, the photographer telling them to take their clothes off, even though they did not talk about that prior, who knows, but the stereotype around photographers is about like the male photographer. Like, I mean, look at me, I, I have a... I have a shaved head and a mustache. You know, I am like the, <laughs> the, not the, I don't want to say the poster boy, but like if anyone's going to look at me and like, oh, I'm a photographer, most people would be like, yeah, I know. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so um, it's an uphill battle right now for me <laughs> um, to, to make sure that, you know, um, people feel comfortable around me. Now I have a very bubbly personality, so it, it's, it's, <laughs> That takes the edge off, certainly, but uh, people are becoming very wary of, of working mm-hmm. with with males in, in this industry. How do you think we can shift that? Like, what is your perspective as a male photographer? Oh, like, I, how, I, how can we influence that for the better? Well, oh, I think that, well, so the shift has already started happening. A lot of people are advocating, and I'm also advocating for doing your research when you are mm-hmm. about to work with someone, you know, in a close space. That person is usually in a position of power. Photographers have mm-hmm. some modicum of power within that dynamic and models should be doing their research to see who is going to be in that position when they're working with them. And that is not just photographers. That's like creative directors, that's stylists, that's makeup artists. Like if anyone is being inappropriate, I 100% advocate for people calling them out. you like, this is my experience with working with this person or even like doing the research yourself and like going on their page and clicking on the model that's tagged and asking them, how is it to work with this person? You know, mm-hmm. were they inappropriate? That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That's already been, that's already started, mm-hmm. which is great. I think, I don't know if that'll ever go away. I think there are always going to be these photographers who are just in it for the hot babes. And I would just say that if you're a new model or a new photographer, really, make sure you're doing your research before you get taken advantage of in any way. Mm-hmm. I think that's really great advice. Yeah. Yeah, it brings up the topic of boundaries, which is a whole other discussion. But Mm -hmm. yeah, it's unfortunate. I think, yeah. Anyway, moving on. Yeah. (laughs) Barely gotten through this list. Oh, man. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So going back to your experience over the last year, what is something that 
has come out of it in overcoming or maybe an acceleration in a different way. You talked a little bit about personal growth, mm-hmm. something that's been revealed to you that you wouldn't have maybe overcome if it weren't presented to you in this context, if COVID didn't happen, the restrictions, et cetera. What have I learned? I've learned that your friends are a lot more valuable than perhaps you give them credit for. Your friends are the family that you pick. And when you can't see them, it takes its toll. So I know when this pandemic is over, I'm going to be out every weekend seeing my friends. It doesn't have to be an expensive you know, outing, but your experiences, your social experiences are really, really important in the in the grand scheme of things. I think for your mental health as a whole, mm-hmm. you know, we are very social animals mm-hmm. and having your friends around is, is really important. So if there's anything I've learned, it's that, is that yeah. your, your friends are important. Absolutely. Yeah, I would 100% agree. I think the things that I've learned too is like your physical health, but your mental health, which is directly tied to your social circle, the health Absolutely. of your social relationships. We don't have our social relationships or physical health. It's mm-hmm. that is the foundation of like the life we live. So going back to the mental health side of things, I know you brought up like avoidance was one of your coping mechanisms. I guess like what advice would you give to people who potentially also struggle with that? Like the avoidance, maybe the silent sufferer, because I know that can plague many of us. Maybe we feel like we're alone in the struggle. We don't feel safe enough to talk to people. We haven't curated that Mm -hmm. safe friendship group. Or maybe you just don't feel comfortable talking about our struggles with other people. Well, so the, the, the social group is a really interesting uh, thing to bring up because I feel like – now, I, I don't want to position myself as some sort of expert in mental health. This is all anecdotal. I'm a photographer. Uh, but, <laughs> um, but I, you know, I'm in my late 20s. I'm going to be 30 this year. So the dirty 30s, yeah, as it were. So I'm, I'm a little older, a little wiser, and there's, there's things that I can vocalize now. That being said, I do think I'm, I'm a good representation of people in my demographic um, who are going through the same struggles that I am. And I think that it really depends on the source of your negative energy, mental health, that sort of thing. I think that, again, not an, not an expert here, but there's two things that really affect our mental health. And that is our social circle that we've already brought up, but also a sense of belonging. And those two, while they're not the same, they're 100% connected. And if you have a friend group, but you feel like you don't belong, that is an issue. If you have, if you feel like you belong, but you don't have a friend group, those things, again, they go essentially hand in hand. And when it comes to young men, now, I, I, I don't think that the problems that we have with, with mental health, that young men have with mental health are necessarily only geared towards young men. But a lot of people, I think, in this social age, in this age of social media, I should say, is that people are finding it harder and harder, which it seems like the antithesis of what social media is, but if people are finding it harder and harder to find a place where they belong within their social circle, depending on you know your environment and stuff like that. So if you're looking for a solution to your mental health issues, whatever that issue may be, you do need to find the source of that. And if you feel like you don't belong in where you're living, you know, you might be in a small hometown, but you're a guy who likes, who loves listening to My Chemical Romance and, you know, you love to wear black and paint your nails black <laughs> and stuff like that. The stereotype of the emo kid, right? Maybe it's time to, if you can, if you have the means, maybe move out of your parents' basement, go in and find people who are, or are in your group, finding some sort of hobby that kind of correlates with your interests or if it's on the the other side where you feel like you don't have a whole lot of friends, you can also use that same tool to 
or that same solution to tackle that problem as well. I think that this is going to sound like a really simple solution, but getting a hobby is so important. I think you know, and I know, and everybody else knows someone in their life that doesn't really have a hobby. Like maybe they will get up, go to work, and then they go to the gym and then go home and they watch Netflix and that's their entire day. And they'll do that for their entire week. And maybe on the weekend, they'll go out for a nice dinner. And then on Sunday, they'll have like a chill day where they do some yoga or something like that. And they read a book. And then the week starts all over again. You get up, you go to work, you go to the gym, you go home. There's not a whole lot of creative stimulation there. And really my creative work has really been getting me through any sort of problem that I've ever had Mm. uh, mentally. If I ever felt down, seasonal depression hits me real hard. Um, I'm one of those people. So using my hobbies to like get me out of that has always worked. Mm. So if you're feeling down, go join a dance class, go get up, you know, learn a different language and then use these free sites that you can, that you can find on, on the internet to speak with people who are also learning that language, Mm -hmm. you know, join a pottery class. It sounds like a solution that's too simple, but it's a lot more powerful than a lot of people think. Tell me more about that. So it sounds like you've really kind of highlighted the creativity aspect in terms of helping you personally, like your own story, mm-hmm. tackle your mental health and yeah, referencing the seasonal depression piece of it. Like, can you expand on that piece, how creativity specifically has helped you manage that? Absolutely. So with creativity, with any creative project, you're able to actually pour your emotions, whatever those emotions may be, into that creative work. I don't really care what medium of art it is. It could be dance, it could be painting, drawing, it could be performance art, like music, or dance, I guess, is a performance art as well. But you're able to pour your emotion into that. Like anything that you have on your chest, you're able to let go into that. And it's very cathartic in a sense. Mm-hmm. You know, when you write a, a song that you're really proud of and you're talking about your lived experiences and then you actually go and perform that in front of a crowd. I know during COVID though, that's not exactly a thing, <laughs> but being able to do that is it's joyous. It's there's a lot. Well, it's really, it's any emotion you want to feel with me. It was for, it, it was music at first and it didn't really matter what I was playing. It was performance art. So if I was playing hardcore, if I was singing John Mayer, who knows? Because I did cover John Mayer. Um, I can see that. Or Wonderwall, you know, play that on repeat. Yeah, I was that guy at the party. I was that the, the guitar guy at the party, unfortunately. Yes. Oh, man, how, how I've grown. But um, I was able to, to pour my emotions and thoughts and feelings into that. And I was able to, like, let loose on stage and all this sort of stuff. And it, it was it was a lot of fun. And I think that, yeah, if you can find a creative hobby, that's really a key to growing Mm -hmm. as a person, actually. Everyone has some sort of creative tick, I think. Even if you've believed your entire life that you don't, you definitely do somewhere. You just haven't looked hard enough. Maybe in a year, you could be painting incredible works of art. You could be making beautiful pottery, making beautiful music. But a lot of people are not ready to be bad at something. Yes. You know, so, and and that's a major reason why I haven't learned a different language because I'm, I'm embarrassed and I don't want to make mistakes. I'm an adult. I want to be good at something, you know, but when you're learning something new, especially, you know, if you're learning like guitar or to dance, you're going to be bad at the beginning. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't really get past that stage Mm -hmm. where you're a beginner and going to intermediate. The intermediate is where you really grow. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's what what I feel about, uh, you know, using creativity to get yourself out of 
any sort of you know mental state that you're in. That is so fantastic. <laughs> it's so fantastic. What I was pulling out of that, what you just said was any creative hobby creates a container for your emotions. So, you know, I have a lot of guy friends that I chat with about this topic because I'm so passionate about it, but just finding a way to even deal with your emotions or acknowledge them. Mm -hmm. What has your experience been with that? Even like with your friend group, with your male friend group, do you talk about this topic? Like finding that container, whether it's a social circle, a creative outlet, journaling, whatever it may be. Like, do you find that a common struggle? I'll, I'll say that between, I'm going to say my demographics. So I'm a 29 yes. year old straight white guy. No, it's not talked about at all. We talk about a lot of weird things that you don't think guys <laughs> talk about. Like, yeah, we'll talk about sports and we'll talk about movies, you know, what Marvel movies coming out or something like that. We also talk about politics a lot. Um, <laughs> you'd be very surprised guy talk is like, oh yeah, what's Jason Kenny doing these days? What's Justin Trudeau doing these days? You know, like that's what we talk about. But as far as our mental health, no, it's not talked about at all to our detriment, I'll say. And I don't know if, okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm getting, getting a little uh, sidetracked here, but I think that in our society, people are told, people think that men are not taught to talk about these things or that we're taught to not talk about these things. I, I'm not sure if I worded that correctly, but there is this stance that society has that, oh, men are supposed to talk about these things and we just kind of don't. And I don't know if it's necessarily because we are taught to not talk about these things or if men in my demographic are just trying to save their ego or mm. save their pride or to be stoic, you know, in the face of uh, adversity. You know, how many times have you been in a, uh, in a problem and your guy friend says, I'll take care of it or don't worry about it. Don't worry about it is actually the the, the yeah. big one. Yeah. Um, or like I'll work through it or, or something like that. I think that the – again, I'm not an expert here. But just from my experiences, my very, you know, straight white male brain has always tried to just overcome adversity. So if I've any – if I've had any problems, I don't really want to talk to anybody about it. You know, how many times have you seen your male friends cry, even though like you're bawling at a sad movie, yeah. they're just like emotionless. He's dealing with that on the inside. Yeah. I've been trying my best to kind of like let that go a little bit, but I haven't cried in seven years wow. or eight years. I can't actually remember the last time I cried because I've always just been trying to get through it on my own. Mm. So we don't talk about it. We just try to get, we, we try to get over it and some men can cope with it and some men can't. Yeah. Um, and the men who can't cope with it are usually on the news doing something inappropriate. So, yeah. So true. Yes, exactly. I was just listening to a podcast on the way over here actually about this topic. And yeah, she was saying that women almost have like full license to, have like a mini mental breakdown. Mm -hmm. um, and we and we, yeah, everyone lets it a, happen. And yeah. a movie. And then like men, she was saying internalize, which is where I think maybe a lot of the problems come up because if they're not dealt with in a healthy way, they can like almost take root. Um, <laughs> there you go. The roots. Into some destructive behavior, like you had mentioned. Absolutely. So what do you think is the, I mean, you mentioned ego, but like what, What's one thing that you think needs to change in this area to maybe create more of a safe place? I was, yeah, I recently heard too, 
in terms of men being vulnerable with other men, they want to know that that person has gone through or can relate to what they've gone through mm-hmm. and that it is a safe place, meaning that it's a non-judgmental place to talk about it. Oh man, what solution? That is a, probably a decades old question yeah. that I'm going to try to tackle right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think, oh man, it's tough. It's tough, Ruthann, you know? Men have always felt like they need to just get through their problems themselves. Mm-hmm. And not talking about their problems has been a problem for a long time. And if we're going to get over that, I think it's actually been changing with, you know, the millennial generation with Gen Z, Gen Z, we're in Canada. Um, <laughs> I, re- <laughs> I really don't want to say Gen Z. It just comes out, but yes. I know it's Gen Z. Um, they have been a lot more proactive in talking about the things that happen to men in, the, in their experiences. But I also think that it's not only a problem that is, oh man, I need to be really careful with how I, with how I word this. I think that there are a lot of stereotypes that are propelled not only by men, but also women as well. Women, I feel, don't also know how to deal with men's emotions because we, they've never really had to. Yeah. They deal with women's emotions constantly. They're dealing with their own, with other people's, because it's just a social norm that that people have, that people have adopted really But no one really knows how to deal with men's emotions because we process our emotions perhaps in different ways. Um, Sadness is very easily turned into anger or it's very easily turned into joy when you listen to the right song. You know, it's it's very, (laughs) I know that that's definitely how it is for me. I listen to like, if I'm ever feeling like down, I listen to like the heaviest metal, (laughs) the heaviest hardcore. I was, I was listening to it on my way to, uh, on my way here that I could find. Oh yeah. It's gnarly, bro. Um, (laughs) But I feel like there is a sweeping cultural change that has to happen where men can be vulnerable, but also seen as the men that they want to be seen as Mm -hmm. whatever that means to someone, you know, you can, you can be a man and do whatever you want. I think you could, well, I, I don't know if I'll necessarily elaborate, but yeah, you, you can be the, the, any type of man that you want to be You're the gun toting truck driving guy that you typically see here in, here in Alberta, <laughs> that that is not the end all and be all of what being a man is. And if you can find people within your friend group or, you know, outside of your friend group that kind of share those same values and, or they don't necessarily have to be the gun-toting, truck-driving type of guy. You can open up to those people and see if they're going through the same struggles. But it's a sweeping cultural change that that doesn't begin and end with men. It's also with everybody else, really. I don't know if I necessarily have a solution. I don't know when that will happen. But I think that men definitely have to open up a little bit more in order – like, it it starts with men, Mm. I will say. Or men, at least in my demographic. I can't speak to – men of, of different races or, or nationalities or sexualities or anything like that. But the topic needs to be brought forth by men because we are seeing on the news all the time men who are mentally unstable and then they have also access to firearms. And we all know what happens then. I'm not going to get into too much of that gruesome detail, but it's a really tough topic to answer, mm-hmm. I'll say. But it, start, it has to start with men opening up about their feelings and not feeling like they are judged for having those feelings, which they all have anyway. All of us have these feelings. Yeah. We're not dumb. We know how to mostly process what we're feeling, but usually it's internal. And mm-hmm. I don't know if it's healthy or not. I don't know. I guess we'll only time will tell. Yeah, that's that's as good as it's going to get from me, unfortunately. <laughs> I love all that that you shared. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with everybody. And I have two questions to kind of like round this conversation out. You mentioned women, which I totally agree with. So what would you say, what are your thoughts on how can women 
better support their male friends, spouses, family members, et cetera? What can women do to support? So I think this is also related to, and I'm also going to be very careful with how I, with how I word this. When it comes to flirting, bear with me. When it comes to flirting, the social norm is men will take an opportunity. So women don't really flirt. They leave a door open for the guy to flirt. That's how a woman flirts. As, as Again, I'm not an expert on this, but when a man sees that the door is open, even just a crack, he'll go in and try to worm his way in there. And I feel like with the the topic at hand that could be the same the same strategy so if mm-hmm. if it's a woman with a man and he's not going through that great of a time you can just leave the door open be like hey if you ever like need to talk if you ever need to go for a coffee or like even just like have a good time to take your mind off some things i'm here because i do feel i don't know if this happens necessarily within female groups perhaps it does perhaps it doesn't but i know it definitely doesn't really it doesn't often happen within friend groups of guys. It's actually been happening to me a lot. I'm usually the guy that people come to. They're like, Hey, I have a, I have a problem, whether it's like girl problems or usually it's girl problems. Um, (laughs) and I don't know why they come to me. Um, I have the same girl problems, bro, but, uh, it's something that, that has to like women can do, like you just leave the door open. Right. And that goes for men as well. So like, if you know that your buddy isn't having a good time, even if he seems like really happy when he's around you, you know, check on your happy friends as well. Cause we all know what happened to Robin Williams, you know, like the voice of our generation, the voice of our childhood really. And then he took his own life. So that, that shocked the world. He was like the most joyous his personality was infectious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, then that happens. So check on your happy friends too, but leave yeah. that door open yeah. for, for your friends to do that. That's so such a good tip. And then last question, I'm curious your thoughts. Like what do you think would happen if men were able to be vulnerable with other men and with other people? What impact do you think that would have on our society? I feel that suicide rates would go down drastically. That is like a that that like it's like a silent pandemic that's happening right now. Yeah. With men is that there is a lot of suicide. Now, that hasn't happened in my friend groups. I don't know anybody who's taken their own life, but I think that has definitely something to do with it. You know, feeling that you can't talk to anybody about the problems that you have has a drastic effect to their detriment on your, on your mental health. That would be one effect of men feeling vulnerable with, with their friends, as long as they feel like they can talk to their friends. (laughs) It's a, it's a tough question to answer. I'll, I'll be honest. Outside of the suicide rates. I don't know. I don't know what would happen. I think that men would also be a lot more comfortable with their sexuality as well. I know, you know, some guys who are like, Oh, I don't like to wear pink or I don't, I don't like to order fruity drinks because somehow that will affect their their masculinity. So mm. infantile, that mm. attitude, I think. Mm. But if they feel more vulnerable, because feelings are for women to these guys, right? No, I don't feel like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I eat barbecue and I drink whiskey and, you know, I don't, <laughs> all that sort of stuff. Yes. Um, and, you know, I don't care about feelings, you know. I'll just get over it. I'll just get through it. I'll take care of it. That mentality will essentially go away, I think. And right. And men will be more comfortable with talking about their feelings and where it won't feel like they are damaging their ego or bruising their ego Mm -hmm. in any sort of way. I think that ego will also go away as well. Hmm. I think we have 
potentially another conversation to have. We'll, yes, we'll we have don't. you back, Stephen. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that yeah, the topic of masculinity, vulnerability, etc. I think like that's a whole other conversation that we could potentially dive into. So, thank you so much for Absolutely. sharing your thoughts on this topic, your own personal experiences. And yes, so Stephen is a photographer here in Calgary. So Stephen, if people wanted to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Well, you can find me. I'm I'm very active on Instagram. So s.t.k.photography. Or you can probably just type in STK Photography Instagram and you'll find me. I also have a, my personal portfolio, which is stkphotography.net. You can find me there. If you have any questions or you want to book, you can, you can contact me in, in any of those, on any of those uh, platforms. Fabulous. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Root Podcast. If you're interested in learning more or would like to share your story, go to our website, therootpodcast.com, to get in touch.